0: When my wife was going to Belmont for grad school, so she was here in Nashville. Um, We were living in uh, California at the time, Uh, but she went to grad school. Hold on a minute. Do you think that was just a blast that we heard? (laughs) That's what it sounded like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's one o'clock
1: on the dot while we're recording everybody. So literally at the hour that just happened. Continue. (laughs) Court screws and contracts. My name is Wyatt Wallace,
2: and I'm Jennifer Hamrick. And
1: thank you so much for joining us for this podcast, which we started to really give everyone a better idea of uh, investing and more information uh, to help provide them in buying their first home or uh, purchasing property to to make a little money on.
2: And we encourage you to grab a glass of wine and laugh with us over real estate today. Mm. We are drinking 19 Crimes, it is red wine, uh, South. Eastern Australia. I didn't know
1: it was from Australia. Yeah. Wow. What's the link on that tasty. one? Mm. Mm. Lovely. You heard a third clink there because we have a great guy coming up today. Matthew Haggerty is the owner of Construct LLC and Central Coast Properties LLC. For the last 13 years, Matthew has been using his structural engineering expertise to help clients resolve their structural and drainage issues through the use of structural forensics and design. Matthew has also been involved in real estate investing, renovating single-family homes to either flip or rent. He currently holds a professional civil engineering license in California and Tennessee. He completed his master's in structural engineering at UC Berkeley and his undergrad in civil engineering at UC Davis. Matt Haggerty, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. (laughs) Man, so my goodness, um, you came here from the Bay Area. That's
0: right. And... uh, what, What is it like to live in Tennessee now? It's a little bit different. You know, I was born and raised in the East Bay, born in San Francisco, grew up in the Bay Area, lived in California my whole life. Um, but I met a lady about, well, close to 10 years ago now and. We dated for a while, and uh, she's originally from Texas. Oh yeah. And California, um, as some of you might know, is pretty impacted, and it just wasn't a lifestyle that we wanted. So, we explored different places to move to, and she actually uh, went to Belmont for her graduate degree, and uh, decided that Nashville would be uh, the place to go to. So we've been in in Nashville probably for about 14 months now, and. to be honest it's it's a little different you know Uh, we're landlocked yes Um, that's one thing Uh, the weather I guess is another big thing and real estate itself is actually a little bit different too Um, you know right now in Nashville things are booming out here like they are in California but the little intricacies I've noticed uh, are a little bit different and uh, the uh, construction especially is a lot different than it is in California Oh, my goodness.
1: I, I, I was thinking about that, too. You don't have to do things like, what, strapping a water heater to the wall here.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, the, the feeling around here for the most part is that we don't get earthquakes here in <laughs> middle Tennessee. If you go over to Memphis, you know, uh, then you have to worry about it. Uh, but it's kind of funny because when I first got here, um, I started working on a design that's being built right now. Um, at one of the honky tonks downtown. Um, And so I was just running my calculations. One of the things I check for are wind loads and earthquake loads. And you know, a lot of people say, you know, earthquakes aren't a big thing out here. And when I go on the USGS and look on the maps to see what my uh, uh, acceleration factors are gonna be, here in uh, Nashville, I have to design a structure the same way with the same acceleration factors that i would say somewhere like san jose california which is a moderate seismic zone so um but the funny thing is here in uh Nashville, in the construction we don't really use the straps and the tie downs and all those <laughs> things that you would see out in california but from a design standpoint uh, it's something that definitely needs to be addressed at some point and You know, that's the feeling I get overall with the southeast part of the country, is they're they're a little bit behind. Not to say what they're doing is wrong or anything like that. And who who the heck knows when we'll ever, if ever, see an earthquake around here. But I found it kind of interesting that I am going to design things pretty much how I did in California.
2: That is interesting. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So you're gonna bring stucco and oh, I, I, I I love stucco. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm, I'm starting to like brick. Uh-huh. Okay. I I didn't grow up with brick, and That's great. Uh, and so yeah, brick structures for me are are a new thing. Um, but you know, I'm I'm growing to like it, and you know, I like the hardy siding as well. So, uh, yeah. um, but I've seen a couple stucco houses <laughs> out here. So who knows? Maybe I'll I'll find a good rehab and, and put stucco on it or something.
2: That's what he did on his last flip. It was stucco. Right. <laughs> yeah. My
0: general contractor is from California, too. So
1: it's like, oh, we should do stucco. This yeah. sounds
2: great, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah. That's a fun process when they, they put that on the building.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it, it definitely, uh, in this area, it definitely stands out, too. So aesthetically, oh, yeah. you have something to present that uh, not a lot of other homes have out here. Yeah. Before
1: I was able to get that done on the project and ask her and, and the whole bit, like, is this feasible? My concern with stucco was that in a humid climate, it has a tendency to not dry out well enough or something. Is that a thing or is that just something I heard?
0: Well, uh, I'm not a stucco expert. Okay. You're However. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> stucco, stucco engineer. Um, but you do have your scratch coat and your brown coat. Um, it's it's uh, when you do stucco you do it in layers okay and your first layer um, you're expecting it to crack all concrete cracks that's why we reinforce it you know when you do stucco you put on the chicken wire that kind of acts as a a bonding agent and uh, a reinforcement for it but you know the first couple coats you are expecting to crack and then your finished coat is what you're wanting to really look stand out nice and uh as far as humidity goes um there might be something to it um you know out in california we never had humidity issues to worry about and i've seen a lot of stucco like one of my cousins is a structural engineer in in uh, phoenix and so i went to visit him a lot and uh, a lot of stucco out there too but once again no humidity so
2: um
0: i'd be interested to see what the effects are um, if there are any but uh, it does a good job of breathing though too any moisture that gets into the stucco you know hits the waterproofing goes down to the weep screed at the bottom Mm. and then goes out that way so um you know functionality it works the same way as as the brick facades out here
2: Mm.
0: so my guess is it'd probably do just fine
2: i know you're a structural engineer but you also do some investing yourself yes Um, what is your specialty when it comes to investing?
0: I would say my specialty is single home flips. Okay. Mm. Um, About five years ago, um, I was working for a contractor as a project manager, construction manager, and we did mostly like structural and drainage work. However, we did remodels from time to time, uh, especially after the recession when – work was tight, you know, we'd pick up pretty much whatever jobs we wanted to, so I found myself remodeling homes for work, um, just managing the projects, so I got to see everything from, you know, the structural stuff, but in addition, you know, kitchen remodels, bathroom remodels, things like that, and um, a real estate buddy of mine approached me, he, he was a realtor back in, uh, back in California, and uh, he had picked up a project, uh, a short sale. And he wanted me to do the renovation for him. Um, you know, he, being a realtor, he knew how to find deals. He knew how to sell deals. But the whole middle part of the flip, the actual flip part of it, he didn't have any experience with. Huh. And so he approached me. And, you know, uh, I've known this guy since college. Him and I are, are good friends. He was actually a groomsman in my wedding. Wow. And uh, I was like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. I've done this for work. The only difference is I'm doing it for myself now. And so we did that project together. Uh, with a short sale, you're not allowed to resell it for 90 days oh. uh, once you pick it up. And so, it, you know, it's a small rehab, mostly cosmetic stuff. And you know, that 90-day buffer was great because <laughs> I needed pretty much all 90 days to figure out what the <laughs> heck to do and and how to do it. Um, and, in addition, I put a lot of sweat equity into that project, it being my first one. And uh, it was great. We sold it uh, ninety days later, you know made a really good profit on it. Sure. And you know, pretty much ever since then, I've been hooked on flips. you know I've, I've picked up rentals here and there, but the thing I love is is taking something that's worn down or outdated and really just turning it around into a beautiful home that somebody can enjoy.
2: Was there one thing you learned from that flip that you take with you with every flip now? You're like, oh, I have to remember that was the lesson I learned from that. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, right. You, you know, that one That one actually went pretty smoothly. Okay. Um, everything was pretty basic. You know, it, it was like your normal uh, cosmetic rehab. So paint, flooring, you know, putting in new vanities, new cabinets, things like that. Um, so I didn't run into anything too crazy on that one I think it's once I started getting into the bigger rehabs where I'm almost gutting a property Mm -hmm. that's when you start to find out um, a lot of things you didn't expect Um, especially when you start cutting into plaster which you didn't think was plaster Um, doing doing those sorts of repairs um, you know it just adds uh, cost to the project which, um, if you don't know what you're looking at and accounting for, uh, you might run into, um, and yeah, the older homes, once you open those up sometimes it can be quite a mess. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've opened up a wall to find just wiring splices out of nowhere. Um, you know, uh, plumbing lines that were cut in the wall and covered over that were still dripping, you know, pretty, pretty crazy stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, but you know from doing this for a while now you kind of get a sense when you walk into a house and uh you know for the uh for the younger well i shouldn't say the less experienced (laughs) investors out there um you know my, my biggest thing is just to try to see as many houses as you can you know there's nothing wrong with going to a house you know running your repair costs and just doing that you know um, obviously making an offer is important as well and the whole negotiating an offer is important but you know getting a sense of a, what a house needs mm-hmm. and when in doubt you know be a little conservative I'd rather have somebody be a little conservative on the front end instead of paying for it on the back end because I've I've been on both sides of those equations you know I've been conservative and have done great on projects and then you know after you get a few under your belt your ego kicks in a little bit especially with <laughs> with my background and I found myself in some pretty interesting situations and uh, yeah working on a tight budget to begin with is never a fun experience once you start getting into things especially on the larger rehabs
1: yeah so, yeah I was watching a YouTube this morning about that and a guy said uh, you know if I if the, if I'd known the things that I know now, I would have saved myself forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. Yeah. And I thought, oh man, that is such a huge learning curve for someone. And of course, someone who's not gotten into this says, well, I don't even. How how can I lose fifty thousand dollars? <laughs> I don't have fifty thousand dollars to start with. Mm-hmm. But it seems like a great thing to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, in that vein, how do you, how do you adjust your budget? based on, on what, what's, what you see, what's available to you without, you know, is there someone else that you rely on for your ego check
0: or how do you? <laughs> well, that actually, you brought up a really good point, double checking with somebody. And the biggest lesson I learned from moving out here to Nashville is the importance of a good team. And it can be just, you know, um, running your numbers by, you know, an investor friend of yours who does similar work. And just getting their thoughts on it, um, you know. Back in California, I had a I had a great team with me. I had my partner who was the realtor, you know. I had all my crews, you know, guys I had worked with for years that I could trust. I knew they did good work. I knew what their pricing was, um, and so moving here, the biggest hurdle I found was finding the right team, you know. And it, it's it's a constant thing. I, I truly believe that. You've got to constantly be working on your team, networking, mm-hmm. uh, meeting new people, expanding your team. Um, and when you find somebody good, sticking with them and treating them right, um, it's not a business to be... You know, if you want longevity in this business, you can't be greedy. Uh, yeah. If somebody does good work, you pay them what they're worth. And uh, throughout this past year, I've really found uh, how important having a good team is. So... Um, you know, once you find those those good contractors, realtors, other investors, I highly recommend running deals by them. Um, this deal that I picked up the other day, I had a contractor friend of mine who does a lot of investing come out and look at, you know, just look at it with me for 10, 15 minutes. And we just walked through the property, kind of I told him what I wanted to do, he told me what his opinion was, and just from that, 10 15 minute conversation. I know exactly what I want to do. Um, You know, I'm getting a bunch of contractors out there. You know, even though I've used people uh, here already for some of my renovations, I'm always interested to meet new people. And so, you know, just uh, getting multiple opinions on it because everyone's going to have their own idea, their own cost for something. But um, as long as you're working with other people, it's going to save a lot of heartache uh, once you go to do the work and then ultimately sell the property.
2: How does your um, job as a structural engineer and doing design and inspections for that, how does Mm -hmm. it help you with your flips?
0: Uh, I would say the biggest benefit of being a structural guy is I can take a look at a property that might have structural issues and I can diagnose it almost immediately. Um, you know my day job day in and day out is to do inspections so um, I do a lot of um, new construction inspections around Nashville I also do a lot of uh, a lot of inspections on existing homes and the more homes I see because I'm seeing probably about two to three houses a day uh, the more houses I see um, you know the more areas I go to the more time periods of houses I see, I'm able to really know how a house is framed or what materials were used. I can, for the most part, be able to take a good educated guess on what's going on under the house and inside the house. So that has definitely helped my flips, um, especially out here since I wasn't familiar with the areas, uh, not familiar with the type of construction, because out here, You know, just take foundations for instance. Out in California, it's all uh, reinforced concrete. And you come here, and yeah, they have the concrete footers, but everything's uh, CMU block, or, you know, the older homes are stone foundations or brick. And um, so, really spending a lot of time looking at houses just from an engineering standpoint, it definitely helps me with my flips being able to kind of know what's behind the walls, so to speak, uh, in a house when I I go to look at it from an investor standpoint.
1: If you're in the Nashville area, please join us for the monthly Middle Tennessee Investors and Wholesalers Network Happy Hour. Two hours of pure networking and deal-making. You'll meet brand new investors and wholesalers, all the way up to those that buy hotels.
2: You can find more information and sign up on our website at corkscrewsandcontracts.com.
1: Don't miss it. Be sure to register for our Investor's Playbook, Flipping 101. That's at Bar in the Gulch, Nashville, March 28th at 6.30 p.m. Tickets are limited, so get your seat at our website, corkscrewsandcontracts.com. Again, that's March 28th at 6.30, and you can register now at cornscrewsandcontracts.com. We'll see you there. I got some really great advice from a previous coworker um, about properties, um, construction, I just wanna say attention to detail over the years and how that correlates to market activity. You know, If it's when there's a whole lot of people that are out of work, but the really skilled people are looking for work, then the construction actually gets better because they have time mm-hmm. to focus on it. Yeah. Do you see, when you go through these various houses from all the different years, is there a decade where you go, this construction in this decade was really good? Or this builder at this time did XYZ?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I've noticed houses built kind of in like the 50s and the 60s, are just built really well. Mm. You know, they're, they're design-wise, they're not too much different than what's actually built today. However, the you know, the take the wood for example. Um, if you have old-growth wood, you know, trees that have taken a long time to mature, uh, the grain is gonna be tighter and the wood is gonna be stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so homes that were built in the 40s 50s 60s have this old growth wood which is actually stronger than the lumber that they come out with today um and you know certain species of wood too are less prone to termite damage and rot and things like that so you know i live in a 1950s uh house here in west nashville and uh you know it was completely outdated when i bought it um but you know that house just needed pretty much a facelift. The bones were, were great. Um, And so, but you also look at a house that's maybe a hundred years old in East Nashville. And I've seen (laughs) quite a few of those and you know, the stone foundations are great uh, for those houses, but the framing sometimes um, can be a little suspect because I can go into almost any house you know built around that time period and if I ran calculations for the framing or the foundation or anything like that it's not going to pass today's standards that doesn't mean it's wrong um, but you know that's why you sometimes have sagging floors because the beams are being overstressed and over the years they start dipping um, but you know if everything was framed properly, you have a proper load path, you have proper connections between the beams and the foundation and all of that, then, you know, everything should be fine. Hmm. And so I like older homes too, because they have a lot more character. I feel like not saying anything wrong about new construction today, because there's a lot of beautiful homes that, uh, these developers are making out here, but I, I have a little nostalgia for older buildings. Um, historic structures, things like that. So.
2: so when you talk about buyers, whether they're buying for flip or whether they're buying to live in, they hear sagging floors and that scares people.
0: Yeah, it does. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So,
2: um, what, what, what should they look for when they go in a home, whether they're looking to buy for whatever purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, and at what point should they call you? Yeah, so
0: um first time you look at a house i recommend just going around the perimeter and looking at the foundation Uh, from that you'll see cracking well you may or may not see cracking but that's what you're looking for Mm. on the outside you're looking for cracking of the foundation um, site topography so if you're on a hillside which there's a lot out here um, you start looking at the drainage water only goes downhill Uh, if you are on a hillside there's a a better chance that you know drainage plays a much more important part into the longevity of the structure. Uh, Looking at downspouts making sure those are draining uh, properly directed away from the house. Um, Yeah, I would say look at the foundation first, uh, the drainage second and then when you go inside the house uh, just walk around you know see if you can notice uh, if the floors are flat or if they're sloping um, looking for cracks at doors or windows uh, when the foundation moves uh, you get the cracking at the doors and windows pretty much first mm. uh, the material is not elastic at all the sheetrock, plaster, and that's going to crack immediately um, doesn't mean that there's a structural issue, but it's kind of like a red flag pointing out, hey, let's pay attention to me a little bit more because you know something's going on Uh, You can also open up doors and windows. Now the thing about doors and windows too if um, There is such a thing called thermal expansion, so um, You know, that's just heat and cold the material um, uh, Changing based off of just temperature and that can you know sometimes people talk about you know doors sticking in the winter and being uh, fine in the summer that I'm not too worried about but yeah, once you start off some foundation settlement, some major cracking up doors and windows uh, to the point that doors can't even open or close. And then, yeah, cracking in the foundation, moisture in the foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the normal homebuyer is not going to – most people aren't going to poke their heads in the crawl space. You know, they'll let their uh, general home inspector look at that first. Um, but you, know, you can – look at the outside, the inside, and, and you know at least get a, a general sense. Uh, most of the time I'm not called in right away. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the buyer will call me directly because they've either ran into structural issues in the past or they have some sort of experience with it and they want me to come out and evaluate it even before they have their general home inspection. But normally you just call your general home inspector, get your normal inspection, And then if they see something that's a little funky structurally Mm -hmm. or drainage, then they'll say, um, have a specialist come out there and then that's when I would come in. So I like to tell uh, home buyers that, you know, the general home inspector is kind of like your general practitioner and I'm the cardiologist. Mm. You got to see your general home inspector first and then if he feels like I need to come in, then I would come in.
2: Great.
0: You sound kind of fancy that way. <laughs> <laughs> fancy, but uh, I do crawl under houses for a living too. <laughs> I'm glad that you point that out. Yeah.
1: Under houses, and I've been through a few, especially back home we've got you know, basements mostly. Yeah. The further north you go, right? Right. Basements. But here, it's a lot of crawl spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a creature in a lot of crawl spaces that <laughs> looks like a giant spider but it's really a cricket oh yes and it freaks <laughs> me out every time like they just they don't make noise yep. they're just on the wall <laughs> under there and you've got about a foot and a half to the ceiling maybe you know some portions of of the underside of the house and you just I just don't want like I feel like they, they're coming to get me <laughs> Do you experience that
0: <laughs> well I, I I gotta back up a little bit coming from California I don't think bugs exist in California you don't you, you don't have humidity you don't have bugs um, you know when when I was under houses under you know back in California you know you'd run into the house cat from time to time or <laughs> there, there might be another critter under there if you're out and uh, more of the rural areas nothing too crazy though mm-hmm. uh spiders you know uh, yeah, out yeah. there as well um nothing nothing crazy especially the part of california i'm from uh but yeah come here my, you know one of my first experiences when i had a general home inspection on my own house that i bought and they pointed out um, a, bla- a brown recluse mm. i had no clue what those were but then <laughs> i'd hear stories about what happens when you get bit by them and we had a couple in, in our house. I don't think they were alive, but it's, you know, they like quiet places. So one was in the closet, one was in the attic. And so when what? I- was, <laughs> One was it where? Uh, in, in our closet. Okay. And then the other was in the attic, but um, I was there when, nah, when the inspector was there. Time to burn, <laughs> it. burn. it. Yeah, okay. we can't this house no more. I'm like,
2: you say that so calm, like <laughs> I would have been ready to move. Well,
0: <laughs> it wasn't too bad. Uh, you know, I the, the inspector was there and so I was just talking to him and uh, I I, I still talk to this guy actually he's a really good uh, general home inspector and I was just asking him because I was like you know how is it under these houses you know in the winter when it's freezing in the summer when it's completely hot and humid you know um, are there these crazy bugs brown recluse Mm -hmm. uh, snakes things like that because I had no clue you know me coming from California where there's really not much of that stuff um, I just didn't know what to expect you know I'm moving to the south who you know who knows what I'm gonna find under there and so you know but he was very calm about it he was like you know it's it's really not too bad he's like I've never gotten bit by a brown recluse he's like one time you know I ran into like a a, some kind of garden snake and he's like I just grabbed a stick that was under there and kind of shoot him away so Mm -hmm. after talking to him I felt a lot more calm but he didn't tell me about the crickets and I had never seen crickets this size before. <laughs> you know I, I grew up next to a creek and we had crickets but they were smaller and not you weren't enclosed with dozens of them at a time sometimes <laughs> and uh, you know here being in, in uh, middle Tennessee it rains a lot so and a lot of homes don't have adequate drainage. I've noticed that the, the wet crawl spaces yeah. are they love it under there they just thrive under there so the first time that i really went under a house you know it had water issues so i'm kind of trying to crawl over the water and not get completely soaked and then i just look up and i just see all these crickets and i thought they were like spiders too because i had no clue what they were and i freaked out and then i learned that they're harmless and uh and uh, they just look a lot more intimidating than they actually are.
1: But um, uh, Their legs are in a different configuration from normal crickets. It's like a cricket body, but it's got spider legs.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: they're just really long legs.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they, I, I see them pretty often. Mm-hmm. And uh, still, it takes me a second or two to mm-hmm. get comfortable. But I was doing a crawl, uh, an inspection the other day. And I did find... I I hear snakes out here don't come out in the winter, that they're more of a summer Mm. creature. Um, But I did see a pretty large snake skin under one of these houses. And it was a tight space, too. So I was just... I looked around, grabbed the closest stick I saw, and I was just pretty nervous at that point that I was going to run into this (laughs) giant snake. But he was probably long gone at that point. It was me just being... (laughs) (laughs) Overcautious, I guess.
2: If you'd like to be an on-air guest, ask questions, give ideas or feedback for the podcast, sign up on our website at corkscrewsandcontracts.com and let us hear about it.
1: We've uh, got a lot of, of course, new construction going on Mm -hmm. in Nashville. Of course, nationally, you said that already. Uh, I had heard from a, a homeowner that I'm not sure if she said that it was increasing the amount of soil in her crawl space or decreasing but she said that because of the blasting nearby it was affecting her foundation Mm -hmm. have you noticed that or seen that people are experiencing more cracks or Mm -hmm. construction has to change as a result of projects nearby
0: yeah um i i haven't had too much experience with blasting just because um back in california there you know there's not the rock that you have out here uh, but I've inspected a few homes that are nearby developments where they are blasting. And um, the way that, that a blast works, it's actually kind of like an earthquake because an earthquake is like kind of like a wave. Mm-hmm. And when you blast, you get that that sound wave, mm-hmm. um, which is very similar to how an earthquake works. You know, earthquakes, they shake for a few seconds depending on uh, uh, how big they are. But yeah, a blast, you know, you get that shock wave and it's going to move your house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've inspected a few homes out here that if where the client calls me and they're like hey they're blasting I started to see some cracking you know um, and you know it it depends on several factors you know the size of the blast the distance Mm -hmm. a lot depends since it is a wave um, depending on how the rock is underground because sound waves are gonna bounce off the rocks and everything so um, you know it, it it's case by case okay and um, but from what I've seen for the most part yes it's causing cracking but it's not causing any sort of structural issues at the time that's at least my experience with it on um, if someone feels like yeah soils kind of eroding away because that shock is kind of letting it go downhill or something like that um, you know and there's continual blasting mm-hmm. I, I might have some concerns, but tell her to give you a call right well yeah you yeah, no, no, i'm i'm happy to help out cuz uh you know it, it's funny when when i go around giving my my elevator speech mm-hmm. i kind of joke that i'm i'm the CSI of structural engineering you know i go to the scene of the crime and <laughs> and, and, and do do my structural forensics to to figure out uh you know a solution to the problem and uh and so stuff like that where it really makes me have to think and put a lot of factors together and even, you know, some stuff I'll have to go home and, and research on, you know, there's things that I run into that sometimes I haven't seen. I've seen a lot, but um, there's always new things coming up and it definitely keeps me on my toes. And yeah, I love going to houses where there's just like crazy stuff going on and no one knows the answer. Um, You know, uh, when I was a contractor, we always used to pride ourselves on uh, when it's too hot in the kitchen, mm. it's just right for us. And <laughs> we loved to go on to projects where the contractor got kicked off or fired or just quit because they, didn't, you know, they couldn't figure it out. And so I love going into situations like that where I'm just having to figure out something that other people haven't been able to, to put together. And, you know, put together an engineered solution and get it fixed.
1: I know how that you love old homes you've said that yep Uh, tell us about your trip to Myanmar
0: that um, so when my wife was going to Belmont for grad school so she was here in Nashville Um, we were living in uh, California at the time Uh, but she went to grad school hold on a minute do you think that was just a blast that we heard (laughs) That's what it sounded like, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's one o'clock on the dot while we're recording everybody. So literally at the hour that just happened. Continue. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, I, I decided to do a little bit of travel. I love traveling. And I thought it was the perfect opportunity to just uh, strap on a backpack and go uh, traveling for a little bit. So I went to Southeast Asia for a couple months by myself and uh, just went to couple different countries out there um, I'm a huge fan of looking at other structures construction sites um, architecture from you know, different countries and from the past and uh, at the tail end of my trip um, I went to Myanmar just because they had been closed to um, outside visitors for I think like 50 or 60 years wow. and they just started allowing tourists back in and I was like okay I gotta be one of the first people to check out this country and there's a a little area called Bagan which uh, I think translates roughly to uh, land of 10,000 temples or something like that and uh, back in like the 15th and 16th centuries they just kept building temple after temple pagoda after pagoda and uh, I think at one point there were around 10,000 temples and pagodas and all that in that air, that one area and um, over the years, you know, a lot of the structures haven't lasted. Um, they haven't been upkeeping them. Um, and so now, I think today, there's about 2,000, 2,200 uh, temples and pagodas there. So when I went there, I just grabbed a bike and I just biked around looking at all these different temples. And they're starting to, to retrofit some of them. So it was really cool to see their construction practices out there. Um, The scaffolding in particular, you know, out here they're going to use, you know, most of the time metal and and wood plank scaffolding. Well, out there they use bamboo. Hmm. So they have scaffolding going up 100, 200 feet made out of bamboo. And the workers, they take off their flip-flops, they strap on their tool belt, and they just climb up. No harnesses, nothing. They're climbing up 200, 300 feet sometimes uh, (laughs) to work on the tops of these uh, temples and everything. So... Seeing the, uh, the construction practices out there was kind of mind-boggling, <laughs> um, but also seeing the older structures. A lot of them are uh, made of stone um, and things like that, and it was really interesting to see them. Uh, and a lot of them, they had um, retrofitted them with metal because they weren't designed to uh, take earthquake loads, and in that part of the world, uh, there's, there's earthquakes and uh, while I was in Myanmar I didn't know about it but you know the country over in in Bali there was a pretty sizable earthquake while I was there and my wife was freaking out because she didn't know exactly where I was and um, nothing happened in in Myanmar when I was there Um, but you know the earthquake was close and then shortly after I left they had an earthquake in Myanmar and some of those temples that I don't know if it was any of ones I saw that yeah. some of them had, had uh, crumbled and yeah. and uh, but you know, it was a really cool trip got to see a lot of really cool buildings older buildings and new construction so to speak retrofit <laughs> work out there so that was really interesting to see um, how they uh, how they build things out there as well so what
1: what would be your tips for Someone that wants to do what you're doing. I'm like, where do, where do I start? Do I go, oh, let me pick
0: up a book? Or <laughs> do I play with Lincoln Logs as a kid? There you What's go. The Legos, name? right? Um, <laughs> Legos! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Engineering, it's kind of like being a lawyer or a doctor, I would say. Lots of education. And then once you get your degrees, there's a training process, you know, whether you're a doctor and you're doing your residency or you're a lawyer and you're working at a law firm. Uh, For us engineers, we got to work in the engineering environment, doing design work, things like that for a few years before we can take our exams um, and then get our engineering license. Um, So I would say for people that are interested in becoming engineers, I would say just go to like your local community college and just take a couple classes, you know, uh, take engineering classes, you know, the, the first few years of, of college is really all the basics, a lot of math, um, science, stuff like that. Not so much direct engineering related, but um, I would say, yeah, take a couple of classes. And if you like it, you know, I would say go back to school and, you know, get your degrees. Uh, there are people that have been able to get grandfathered into being professional engineers, but, you know, they've worked in the industry for years and years and years. Um, other people can get associate degrees um, and kind of... It, it, it's not being a full-fledged licensed engineer. You know, I've got my stamp and everything. Mm. And, you know, essentially, when it comes to engineering, the buck stops with me. My stamp is everything for me. Mm. And so I, I don't... In my experience, at least, it's, it's really that college degree is the quickest and and best way of, of getting into engineering.
1: Awesome, so if we need to borrow that stamp for like a sweet weekend somewhere, can we just do that, just, just stamp on things,
2: you know? Well, you
0: know some people, yeah, I've been approached many times saying, hey, can I use your stamp? You know, I've got the drawings. If you want to take a quick look, it's fine. We just need a stamp.
2: Oh my gosh.
0: And uh, that's always my first uh, first clue, to take a step back, mm. possibly turn around and run the other direction. but. Um, you know it's it's funny out here in in Nashville because back in California you just sneeze next to a building and they're going to have someone come come out and evaluate it um you know they're they're very uh strict on getting the structural engineers involved and out here it's kind of the opposite you know i find myself getting involved on the back end because something either wasn't built right or they're trying to get their inspections and the inspector says, hey, you need to get an engineer out here. This isn't your standard construction. You know, there's, you know, the framing might be a little different than just your standard, you know, uh, standard uh, single-family home. And so what I've noticed out here, um, you know, I I always try to educate people. is like if you get me in on the front end of, of a project, um, just like the architect or the contractor, you know, getting us involved early in a project is going to save you a lot, whole lot of heartache and money down the line. Um, and unfortunately, around here, at least right now, you know, the building department, um, they, you know, they don't have structural engineers on staff. You know, doing the inspections, yeah, they do framing inspections, but they don't do foundation inspections most of the time. And anything that's out of their realm, they're gonna have someone like me come in and do the inspection for them. You know, because the contractors, you know, they're doing the best, in my opinion, they're doing the best they can. And Mm -hmm. they're not structural engineers. They've been building, they've seen things, but, you know, they don't see it from the eyes or the lens that I'm looking at it from. Um, And it's tough on them sometimes, it's tough on the client. You know, you get towards the end of a project and there's structural issues that weren't addressed up front that could have been uh, seen ahead of time. And so, um, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for me is trying to change that and getting us involved more on the front end of projects because it's it's just going to give our clients just a, a much better product mm-hmm. in the end. And that's that's what I want to do is just give the top product that I can to my clients. One
2: thing I want to make sure we... Um, Let everybody know if they've enjoyed this podcast and learned a lot of stuff and are interested in getting into flipping that you are gonna eventually have a book out there for flipping (laughs) is that okay to share
0: oh yeah no that's totally fine that puts the pressure on me to finish it (laughs) (laughs) over years of reading and educating myself on real estate you know um, somebody told me when I was first starting out he's like read about half a dozen books you're probably going to learn about 75 to 80 percent of what you need to know in that first book, and then every book after that, you're going to get a little tidbit here, a little tidbit there, and that's kind of how it was for me. You know, I was really big on the Rich Dad books uh, when I first started reading about all this. You know, Rich Dad Poor Dad Absolutely. was the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, how to Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. You know, some of some of the the cornerstones for me. Um, and I just wanted to give other investors. Um, a very simplistic way to go about flipping a house. It can get very complicated and there 's a lot to it. but what I want to do is write a book for people that really just makes it simple here 's the steps here 's how you do it you know i 'm not going to guarantee everything, but you know this has been my experience, so from you know marketing to find properties to analyzing and evaluating them to negotiating, then actually flipping them and then selling them on the back end. And I really just wanted you know, to help people and not have to go through what I went through reading, shoot, now it's been dozens of books that I've read and countless hours going to seminars and things like that. And uh, I'd really like to condense all that information in a simple, not an easy way, <laughs> but in a very simple way that people can follow. All right, let me do A, B, and C and see uh, see success from it.
1: Wow, that's so cool. Please keep us posted on that.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely will. Um, I'm giving my, myself a pretty short timeline to, to finish it up here. So the pressure, <laughs> I'm putting self-inflicted pressure now that I'm telling. Uh, that's right, telling the world knows. Accountability, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm excited about it. Uh, I just love sharing my knowledge. I just love talking to people, like we were talking about this before mm-hmm. we started. Um, I just love helping people, talking to people about what I'm passionate about, and engineering and real estate are are two of the biggest passions for me, and to be able to share my knowledge and help other people achieve their dreams, there's nothing better than that.
2: Yeah, and now's a good time for a book because the way Nashville and other markets are growing, people want to get involved or want to do flipping and things like that, and they don't know how. Yeah and a book that will make it that will simplify that yes it's great
0: yes yeah i'm I'm super juiced about it (laughs)
1: that's awesome
0: well matt thank you
1: so much for being with us today
0: yeah no no it's been an absolute pleasure uh like it's been great thank you
1: This has been a production of Corkscrews and Contracts.
2: Podcast copyright 2019.